you want you you'd been the man of the house for six seven eight years and then all of a sudden someone else comes in that kind of calls the shots in reality i've always said if the heart plays up i stop that's what i do and that's what i did so i didn't have regret i had frustration i remember coming in around 4 30 in the morning just as it started to get light and a few people started to surface and i literally just hit my knees and burst into tears where do you take it where do you push yourself can i complete the hardest foot race on the planet Dads, hello, welcome to the Father Forward podcast. I am joined by Ian Macbeth. Ian, it's great to have you. How are you feeling? Feeling good, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to getting stuck into all the different questions. Yeah, me too. Me too. I So we, we connected on LinkedIn just last week, perhaps a week before. But the reason I wanted to get you on, on this podcast is... So we're obviously here to try and inspire dads with stories of other dads that are, that, are, that are doing it, right? And so when I saw your LinkedIn profile, I was really, really intrigued. Like ultra marathon runner, athlete, working alongside like three, four companies, doing a lot of things with clearly a very, very busy life. And I wanted to like dig into what that actually looks like practically, because I feel like a lot of dads probably sit there thinking they don't have enough time to, to do things, go after their ambitions, go after all the dreams that they have and, and all the things they want to accomplish and you seem to be the opposite of that you just seem to to get up and do it so I'm really really intrigued to to dig into that do you just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about kind of you briefly and and what you do typically on a on a day-to-day yeah of course yeah so well I turned 40 in two months so that's a big milestone that obviously mentally at the moment I'm focused on certain things to be achieved between now and then but I'm a I'm a dad of two daughters I've got a two-year-old and a seven-year-old mortgage two cars you know very kind of standard kind of look across modern day society I would say and I've gone through a career of being in property and built my career at the same company I stayed loyal and, and did kind of 16 years of climbing the ladder to get to a, a fairly senior level and then negative stuff happened and it all went a little bit messy which kind of sparked me into thinking well what do I do next and I decided to leave the world of employment and start my own company which has now been going for about three and a half years and we've evolved that into further companies two more launching in in January all very much based around social media content digital marketing driven plans if you like blueprints but different in their own space one's a state agency one's in will writing the two in the new year will be surveying and mortgages so very much heavy in 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 seeing the passion in in starting your own businesses love obviously being part and being present with the family and then very driven as well by my personal kind of fitness and health related goals as well so that's always been a big driving force for me is is trying to see that kind of progress in in any area really but progress in the fitness element of things is is a is a game that you can't ever really finish you know you're always going to be pursuing the next goal when it comes to fitness be it running football martial arts whatever it is that your discipline is so that's kind of me in a nutshell really i'd i'd say i'm quite a happy person i'm in a good place in in my life at the moment and 
I appreciate that a lot of dads out there, it's quite hard sometimes being a dad in, in modern society. I, I always say to people when you describe it, you're constantly the assistant manager in every single frame, whether it's your wife, you'll always be second fiddle to the kids, whether it's your kids, you're always going to be second fiddle to their mum, I should say. So you're constantly playing the number two role, which can be the challenge. So in the other areas, you want to try and be the best version of yourself you can be, really. It's probably the best analogy I've heard, by the way. That's, True, isn't it, really? It, when, you know, when you said it, I kind of looked at it and went, where's he going with this? And then I analysed it for a second myself. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm yeah. more probably the water boy, to be fair. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to I take you all the way back. I'm, I'm intrigued by dads who have found this ability to be really, really resilient and dedicated to certain things and figuring out like where that, where that came from. And so it's probably not like incredibly conventional, but talk to me about like your, your childhood, what you remember and generally that how it was like, where, where do you think you, you built these, these behaviors? Was it from a, a very, very young age, do you think they're, they're learned? Like what happened? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I mean, childhood wise, parents split up when I was about four or five, I think. So as, as much as I can remember, my parents weren't together. Mm. And my mum met my stepdad when I was about 10, I think. And then obviously a new and he had two older daughters. So stepsisters came into life. So, you know, families joined and then my dad went and had another family if you like with with his his wife at the time so then I had half sisters and I had my brother from the original kind of mum and dad relationship so my brother's two years younger than me so then there's kind of this muddle of like you know where do you sit in that dynamic and I think because my mum my mum worked for British Airways so she would travel she would fly a lot at a young age and then we had like au pairs and nannies and things like that so up until my stepdad, my stepdad came into it, when I kind of look back, I was always probably having to be a little bit more uh, mature, senior and responsible in the household for a younger brother with mum and dad not in on the picture at the time, because even mum was working or dad obviously wasn't living with us. So I think I grew up quite quickly in that short space of time. And then I think when the families kind of came together and as you get a bit older, I realized I was quite competitive. I think that's, I don't know whether that's something that came from DNA or whether that just came from wherever, but I was, I found I was very competitive and I think I was competitive. The fact that I had older sisters and a different outlook and a different family, a different way of living. And then that carried on all the way through secondary school, that kind of that competitive nature, not in a, not in a negative way, I don't think, but just, I was always, I was always driven to kind of give the best I possibly could, whether it was football or whatever it was. I was never the most talented. I was always sort of average at base. So work ethic meant that I had to work harder to, to be an asset to the team, be it family, be it sport, be it school or whatever it may be. So maybe a little bit of the disciplines came from that. I, my dad got me into different types of martial arts at an early age, which I think is really important for building discipline so be it judo then kickboxing then mixed martial arts so I think that has an element of the discipline of being able to just commit to something but other than that I don't really know that's probably as raw as I've stripped it back isn't it isn't it mad like 
because I, I never I, I, I never go back and whichever dad I speak to and we have this conversation it always ends with shit I've never really thought about it <laughs> it's yeah. quite incredible isn't it when you think the most like so depending on who you speak to I guess but the the the, the typical off-the-shelf advice is people learn the behaviors between what two and eight two and seven age-wise and I never really focus back on on that time no I, I think I'm quite a social person I'm, I'm I'm quite able to talk to different demographics and different groups and I always I always wonder about that because the thing it's a skill that's helped me a lot in life and that it has to come down to that variety of the upbringing it has to come down to talking to a nanny or an au pair or dad dynamic with a younger brother that's upset about x y and z and you're kind of having to be the the liaison or seeing your mum and your dad going through divorce and then obviously the the awkwardness of them being split up and seeing them you know fighting that aspect of it and then a new stepdad comes into your life totally different character to me altogether and my stepsisters as well totally different characters to me so that dynamic of being able to communicate I think came from from that kind of platform really and yeah I don't know whether that's in the DNA I mean my mum's northern you know she's chatty as hell so you see that she says hello to people and she's quite chatty so I think I picked up on that as well but yeah you don't really analyze it too much to be fair do you no you don't it's interesting how did you feel when the stepdad came into your life because I know this is a, a common theme amongst like diversity and there's a lot of, of people who really get into relationships get married end up leaving like the wife amicably or or, or not but eventually you know typically they end up kind of with someone new and and get into new relationships and inevitably become like a stepdad and a father figure to to children that aren't kind of biologically theirs and so how yeah. did you feel when that when that when that happened can you like recall any emotions from that point yeah I felt I felt a power struggle I always think about that you know in my turn in, in my teens in in growing through you know, going through puberty and then through school and stuff like that, I felt a power struggle, most definitely. So that's something vividly that you can think back to is you what you you'd been the man of the house for six, seven, eight years, and then all of a sudden someone else comes in that kind of calls the shots in reality. You know, your parents call the shots, don't they? At, at kind of 14, 15, you think you've got an element of things, and then yeah, I, I can just remember that dynamic being a power struggle. And then I can remember getting into my 20s and starting a career and, and getting promoted and being quite senior quite early in my career and feeling a sense of, yeah, then it was a sense of competition came back. How how quickly can I climb? And I, I remember actually in our home office, I remember going through some paperwork when I think I was about 17 or 18, probably shouldn't have been going for it. And I found my stepdad's uh, one of his pay slips and uh, he was at uh, the pay slip said he was earning 50 grand a year and I thought to myself wow that's a lot of money if I could ever get to that level like I've made it and then this was like a real driving force in my career to get to that 50k salary all because I saw that pay slip and when I got to it it was like hmm, all right what's next kind of thing but there's kind of a there's a few things there power struggle and then I think as I got a bit older ultimate respect you know I got ultimate respect for, for Terry my stepdad in terms of how he was equal with all four children financially support and schooling and things like that 
the fact that he's got very different personality to me and my mum and kind of that social aspect to things is not necessarily his style. So yeah, respect, you know, I, I would say is, is probably now where it sits, but growing up power struggle and a different competition, different kind of game to play, if you like. Yeah. And, and you got to like, look back and you think like respect to your, to your mum as well, because I guess when you are, when you leave a long-term relationship with your, with your dad, and then you, you kind of probably feel a little bit lonely, a little bit unsure about what to do with yourself. You then have to make a really good call on who you pick next, right? That's that's huge yeah. when you bring someone else into your kids' lives. And it sounds like she she made a great choice. So you alluded to your kind of success in in the early years of your career, you know, successful in the early twenties. Clearly, very motivated guy. Like, what what part of your life did you start realizing that fitness was going to accelerate your kind of career trajectory and, and growth or was it not at that point was it just a case of actually you were you were just doing it naturally and and fitness wasn't a part of it at that stage no it goes back to the childhood my dad's my dad's been into bodybuilding his whole life my, oh really very different kind of body shape to me six foot three monster you know big muscly guy even in his 60s now but growing up growing up dad was the bi- I had the biggest dad in the playground <laughs> you know when you had that conversation as kids my dad's bigger than yours no actually my dad is the biggest and you know builder in gyms doorman that background was was dad so in the same way I had different levels of respect for my stepdad now in my later years my dad was like he was like the superhero he was he was our he was me and my brother's superhero he was someone we idolized so and and because of that that got me into a fitness career so when I was 17 still at sixth form I went and did my GMVQ in in gyms I did my work experience in my dad's gym he was actually running a gym for a few years at that time as well and went into fitness instructing as as kind of what I thought I wanted to do and I did that for 18 months effectively following my dad in in his footsteps and then realized that it wasn't for me. It didn't work financially. It didn't give me enough what I wanted to achieve. And that was the start of kind of always being in in that. I've always been in sports as well, sports teams and stuff like that. So, but that was the route that I went into. So fitness, fitness, being a fitness instructor gave me really good foundations for a lot of things as a trainer and a coach in my career, because a fitness instructor has a really strict regime of how you have to train someone on a piece of machinery that could cause them serious damage. So fitness instructors they're taught like a sort of four or five step process which means you could then relay that in any career as a trainer so that ingrained into me the coaching element of things but that's where the baseline of fitness came in really and then when I left school I ended up you know sports teams and martial arts and and stuff like that kind of really took my took my fancy and then in my mid-20s me and my brother decided that we really liked kind of obstacle course races and that was me and my brother don't have actually have a lot in common and we've got a few things in common but we're very different characters but one thing that we were always into was our fitness and our health so training together for an obstacle course race that we would do once a year was a really nice thing that we did for five or six years and we still do some of those now not as not not annually but that's where I got sort of edged into running was doing things like tough mudder and spartan races and men's health survival of the fittest and stuff like that so my whole life sport has been there really how how is it 
what what's the biggest impact? Because I'm I'm really curious about the impact between like obviously the physical impact is is one of the main reasons why people do it. It's good to feel good. It's good to look good. But mentally, do you think it's helped when you've gone after like business ventures now? Do you think it's just made a, a huge huge difference for you? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think even my wife will say to me if I go three days without going for a run or going to the gym she will just tell me to bugger off she'll be like just go to the gym go for a run whatever you need to do she can feel it so I never really went to the gym because I wanted to be a bodybuilder or I wanted a six-pack or anything like that I went to the gym because I saw it as a bit of almost stress relief and just felt good you know it was just a good feeling it was the dopamine hit really you go there and I enjoyed it and there might be times, you know, six o'clock in the morning tomorrow, I'm going for a run with one of my mates over the woods. I don't want to get up at half five and, you know, put my shoes on at six o'clock. But when I get back, I'll feel amazing for doing it. And I'll love the social chat that we'll have. And it just starts my Friday knowing that I've run 10K before seven o'clock in the morning and I'm feeling tip top, ready to go. So it's that that I think is the foundation of of fitness and sport and running and the same for the gym. You know, you could go to the gym early doors and then you just feel amazing afterwards. So I think it's that really that's important. Um, you know, what's interesting is I'm, I'm yet to speak to anyone who takes fitness seriously like you do, who jumps up and down at the prospect of putting the trainers on and going for a run. Like nobody no. has said they love that part of the process. No. But the most successful people just do it consistently, don't they? Yeah, you just do it. It's not a thought process, it's a habit. And I think that's a big game changer. You mentioned my LinkedIn profile. When I decided I was going to start running ultra marathons, one of the first things I did was I, when I, I said I'm a runner, I said I'm an ultra marathoner. So I run ultra marathons. It's not like I'm trying to run an ultra marathon between the training of going from marathon to 50 mile race. In my head, psychologically, I switched it to I am an ultra marathon runner, even though I hadn't even run it, but I was training for it. So in my head, I had to say I was. And I think that's the difference between sometimes people that want to get into running or, you know, want to do the couch to 5K or run their first half marathon. You have to switch it and say, right, I am a half marathon runner. Now I'm going to train for it, achieve it, do it, and then move on to, to whatever else I want to do faster or further. But you have to take that switch. You can't say, I am trying to be. You have to say, I am. And that will make a massive difference to the commitment of turning it into a habit because then it's not something you're trying to do. It's something that you are. And that's probably, for me, the running the running element of things. Like tomorrow, I will... I will get my kit out the night before trainers will be out socks will be out shorts ready to go you know everything's set to go so I literally get up put it on hydrate lo loosen up and then I'm gone I yeah. I'm, I'm straight out so yeah habits make a massive difference they do and 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 they build up to some pretty significant things don't they I want to talk about your experience as a as a ultra runner and more so the story that we spoke about in kind of pre-record where we where we talked about the 100, 100 mile run because yeah. I thought Goggins was impressive and so your your the 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 work over that two three weeks from I'm going to say Reading to Leeds wasn't it yeah. can you tell like the dads listening a little bit about kind of what happened the adversity you faced and like just the strength to come back and do it again which was like pretty 
pretty intense, wasn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. So I, I decided I was going to last year commit to doing a hundred mile race. And most people say in the ultra marathon community that year one, you get your 50 Ks, then year two, you get into your 50 miles. You maybe do that and then you push it up to 100K year three and then maybe you take on a 100-mile race year four, year five. And I decided that I was going to get to the 100 inside 18 months from only ever running a marathon. And that was my my quest and my goal and my challenge. And I, I went to the 24-hour race. You do five-mile laps and not knowing could i could i do 100 miles could i run for 24 hours that was that was the thing could i run for 24 hours and run 100 miles and it's not something that a lot of people do at the event but it's a big event there's like 3000 runners and some of them are running in teams and some of them are running solos and i finished 20th and ran 100 miles and and ran for exactly 20 just under 24 hours 23 hours and 33 minutes and I did that last year and that's a whole story in itself. But on the story that you spoke about, then the next year I came back with the intention to do it faster. And could I do further? Could I do more laps? And I got to the event as fit as I've ever felt, stronger, faster, better. But I just remember leading up to it thinking, I don't quite have a plan here. I don't like have a really focused like objective I just was like, do I want to do it faster? Do I do I want to run further? I was I wasn't complacent, but I was a bit confused with what I wanted to achieve at the event. And it was the heat wave. And effectively I did uh I think I did 25 miles and I was having some serious problems with my heart rate. It just wouldn't come down. And the heat was got to me, and I ended up seeing a medic. The medic made me sit out for seven hours and then I did a couple of walk laps just to see how I could get. And then I decided it wasn't on. And then in the morning, because you start at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, in the morning, kind of when everyone was back round, I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll see where I can get to. And in the end, I completed 65 miles, 100K. And I was kind of like, at the time, I was happy with it. I was like, there's nothing I could have done medically. I was just not ready. And almost made that excuse in my head as an acceptance I woke up the next morning on the Monday and I was fuming. I was like really, really frustrated. I was angry with myself. Say so what? You think you could have carried on? I think I could have carried on. Yeah. But one thing that I've, I've got a heart condition. And one thing that I've always said to my wife is because in Ultraman, there is an element of risk, you know, people drop dead and stuff like that. I've always said, if the heart plays up, I stop. That's what I do. And that's what I did. So I didn't have regret. I had frustration. I, I, if the situation arrived again, I would stop again because I've always made that promise to my wife that if the heart plays up, I don't run, but it was frustrating. And I kind of, I was itching around all Monday, went to work, kind of just annoyed, got back and Rayel, my wife was like, what's up with you? I was like, oh, I'm just wound up. Like I just, I've got to wait a whole year now until I can go back. And, in, and I actually said it and show to everyone last year wasn't a fluke that was what was going through my head. I was like, I, people are just going to think it was a fluke. And I was just, I was frustrated with people thinking that I was frustrated in myself that I went there fitter, stronger and did mentally. Was there a problem physically? What just all these things are going through my head. And then I said to her, 
I think I need to get do it again. She's like, is there any other events this year? And I said, let me Google it and found out that the same event in Reading also runs in Leeds, but it was two weeks later. So South people run Reading, Northern people run Leeds. And that was kind of the event that Endure did. And I said, there's one in, well, at the time it was less than two weeks. It was like, you know, just under two weeks. And, and I said, but the problem is I'm not going to have anyone to crew me and I can't really drive up to Leeds on my own four hour journey, four and a half hour journey, and then drive back the next day when I've just run a hundred miles. And she said, well, if you've got no one to crew you, then we'll come with you. You know, we'll, we'll back you. We'll take the kids and, and we'll go up there and we'll camp and we'll make sure it gets done. And I was like, wow, <laughs> if she's saying that to me, that was like the green light. I was like, amazing. Like what support? So I booked it. And that was it. The game was on. There's not much you can do. In, there's nothing you can do in fitness in two weeks. It's purely mindset. And yeah, went to Leeds and found that we had another heat wave in the morning and in the afternoon. But I was focused on the start line. I didn't I didn't know anyone. I was obviously up there on my own. And I just looked at the start line and I was like, right, today we run 100 miles that's what we do we, we that was my pure focus i was so driven by it i was chilled i was relaxed as well i wasn't sort of angsty about anything i was just super calm i had all my kit out if it got hot and things melted it didn't matter if i got dehydrated i would hydrate if i needed to stop for 15 minutes and walk i would walk but whatever happened i was doing 100 miles and there was no way i was taking the family up there having a two-year-old and a seven-year-old in a tent that night not doing 100 miles and yeah it was it was a crazy experience but I flew through the first two laps and then then the heat struck and I realized right heat might have been the reason for the heart rate before I'd, I'd looked into that hydration might have been a problem so I kind of banked 20 miles relatively quickly stopped hydrated focused went back out there and really struggled leading into the night and then as soon as the night hit and it got to like seven o'clock. One of my mates had WhatsApp me and he said, oh yeah, you're you're in 17th at the moment. And it wasn't a competition about winning or anything like that. I was not at that level to be able to win with seasoned runners. But through the night, I absolutely just turned into a demon. The, the, the heat dropped. I was just, heads were on. The kids were asleep. So I didn't have to worry about them being okay. Ran through the night and came out of the night in, night in seventh place uh, and basically just carried it all the way through and yeah got the got the 20 laps done got the 100 miles and it was it was amazing it was just ultimate redemption that was the focus the first time I did the 100 miles I had a quote going through my head Goggins style legacy cannot be bought it must be earned and every time I did another lap I thought oh I'm feeling it here I just thought no one can buy this doesn't matter how rich you are you're running a hundred miles and no one can buy it off you and then on the second one in Leeds it was all about redemption it was all about proving, proving it to myself. And there was no way, at, at no point in that race was I ever thinking, I stop, I sat in the chair, I drank, I got up, I went. It was just habitual, boom, 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 boom. And it was an amazing feeling to, to be able to go and get that second 100-mile race. It was really cool. So, I mean, that that's incredible. I was actually going to ask you what's going through your head, like when you're experiencing extreme moments of, self-doubt just wanted to give up when you're at mile 70 or 80 and you just can't run anymore but you shed a couple of things a couple of things there presumably it's all about all that that example around around legacy but 
like the effort and the sacrifice from is it Raya, your wife? Rael, yeah. Oh, Rael, your wife. It's like it's kind of funny. The conversation has gone full circle because she turned into your assistant manager for the day, right? It's unbelievable, yeah. I mean, you know, the kids. It was the heat wave. The kids had water pistols. They're at the side. We were on on the route. They're at the side squirting all the runners with water pistols because the runners were all boiling. They were loving it. They had the time of their life. They absolutely loved it. And having them there to see it and experience it for me was was awesome. And what actually I realized, so the, the first time I did it, you mentioned there about getting to mile 80. The the drive was really important, but I I came through. So in the first one, I ran with someone, we we had eight of us in the camp, five of us were trying to do a hundred miles. One got sick by two o'clock in the morning. I think it was just before two o'clock, it was about half past one. I looked around and I realized I was the last person in the camp that hadn't tapped or gone to sleep. So if you go to sleep, you're not doing a hundred miles. You have to stay running. And I looked around and thought, wow, I'm the only one here. Either people were injured or they, they just couldn't go through the night. They'd fallen asleep. So I was like, right, well, I'm doing it on my own. And it started raining, shivery. The whole camp was KO'd and I had to run 20 miles through the night all on my own. I remember coming in around 4.30 in the morning, just as it started to get light and a few people started to surface. And I literally just hit my knees and burst into tears. And I was about, I was 75 miles in at the time, just, just crying my eyes out for no reason for about 90 seconds. And the whole lap, I was in the frame of, can I do this? Because I'd never done it before. I didn't really know. And the driving force was my my eldest daughter, who was at the time, who was six. And because I told her I was going to run 100 miles, all I could think about in that lap was, well, Grace thinks I'm running 100 miles. I can't not tell her. And then I was having this like visualization of like her seeing me with the medal. Because every time I win a medal, she always takes the medal. And she thinks I won the race, but don't tell her that I didn't. That's why I got the medal. And I just had this visualized thing going through of like her cuddling me and this whole like driving force of the power of being a dad through that moment. And I just started crying. And then as soon as I had a cry, one of the guys gave me a couple of spoonfuls of porridge. What do you need? Change a top. Wet, wet top off dry top on i looked at the clock i was like i got six and a half hours to run 25 miles it's getting done no problem and I, then i was elated and i ran the last two laps as fast as any lap other than the first lap and uh, the last lap was my second fastest lap and i'd had some injury issues and stuff like that as well going on but you just do so they're just experiences that are just they will live with me and they are you mentioned about business they 100 percent have made me a better person, a better businessman. And yeah, from a fitness point of view, obviously kind of set me to another level in terms of what I'm, what I know I'm capable of doing as well. This idea that you're on lap 75 or mile 75 and you kind of almost pitch black and slapping your thighs and cry is just like, that gave me goosebumps. That is mad, isn't it? Yeah, it was raining. I was cold. I was obviously wrecked. I'd had a meniscus damage from that race, sort of from like mile 30. So I was in a bit of pain just coming through for those last two or three miles, just thinking about grace the whole time and just like welling up in my eyes and then get into camp and just boom. And the guys would tell you that was there as well. They just looked at me and they're like, it's just normal in endurance. You know, you just, your whole body is, you've gone past like the physical normality and your brain is trying to take over. And then it was just the shift from 
the emotional part of it to okay we're doing it i've actually broke the back of this now with the hard part is done the night is done on my own the sun's coming up we've got 25 miles and we're getting it done and in the second one because i'd gone through that in the first one it never it never happened i i never cried i was happy i was smiling the whole way around i cheered on the finish line and it was just a different different experience it was a relief rather than rather than excitement what's next where do you push where do you take it where do you push yourself i've got a couple of events for next year already signed up so in terms of fitness is the question what can you do it that's why i always do a race is can i do it so i've got a half marathon in in january and i've got a question in my head is can i hit a certain time and i haven't trained half marathons for 18 months but it was just a something that came to me can i hit that time that i've never hit before can i do an 89 minute half marathon because i'm not a fast runner at all so then i've got that as a goal and i've got a long-term goal is a the, the toughest foot race on the planet it's called bad water 135 it's in america it's, it's the goggins one you will see if you watch right? goggins yeah, yeah. it's the one he sits in the chair and he's he's not in the game but to qualify for that there's only 100 and i think there's 115 people accepted into it but for to qualify it, you have to have been running 100 mile races for three years you have to show that you completed three point to point 100 mile races i've did an event where it was a lap so it doesn't it doesn't qualify so the big ticket goal is can i get into that and can i complete the hardest foot race on the planet knowing heat is an issue for me as well but to do that i have to achieve certain things so the the next couple of years are really based around setting up the foundations to be able to enter that ballot wow that's going to be uh, that's going to be incredible and i'd love and i'm sure like there's dads watching or listening to this thinking actually they'd love to go on that journey and figure out like where they can follow you and and if you are like recording content in preparation for, for bad water then that would be incredible a couple of years out so just yeah. a little bit of time but where's the best place for for dads to to connect with you ian probably facebook or or linkedin really i kind of i talk personally as a dad and stuff like that on facebook you know just ian macbeth m-a-c-b-e-t-h you'll probably see my profile pic will be something to do with a running event and then or linkedin ian macbeth on linkedin i talk a lot about my industry and my business more in linkedin but it probably once every two weeks i'll share something that's relating to running or sport but I share a lot of mindset stuff on LinkedIn as well. So either of those, you know, is probably a good place to to connect and, and see what's going on really. Yeah. Nice. Well, look, I, I just want to say thank you because I think like opening up about anything from childhood through to like current day is, is, is a brave thing to do. And it puts you in a spot of vulnerability as well. When you, when you kind of don't think about those things often and, and it's, you know, this is Adlib, isn't it? We, we're kind of off the cuff with this. So, but it was very, very interesting. Like listening to, how your dad was was so you know big into kind of bodybuilding and fitness and how that's naturally just translated through your life and clearly going to be very proud of the work you've done both kind of physically and, and mentally through through the business stuff as well so congratulations it sounds like you've had a, a really successful time and, and thanks so much for coming on here as well i enjoyed the chat thanks for having me on appreciate right. it cheers Ian. <laughs>